Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Welcome to the podcast. It's Father Nathan. Father John. We are back for round two of Meanderings in the Catholica. That's right. Here we are. We have a uh, Bierstadt Hellers to accompany us along the way. Yes. Sometimes penances take different forms, and uh, John gave up bourbon. I did. I did. Shocker. Shocker. I mean, but, it's, uh, that's one thing. You know, just looking at it over there. Just let it sit there for 40 days, you know. It'll, it'll uh, ferment or Something whatever. Something like that. Yeah. Whatever it does. So, um, uh, one of the things that you'll be, you'll be happy uh that I di- I'm doing for my uh, penance is I do 20 minutes of organizing every day. Oh, wow. There you go. And I tell you what, you can get a lot done in 20 minutes. Yes, you can. And uh, you can have a lot of things go haywire if uh, you look towards other things for three consecutive days. Like, one day I was like, oh, I'm just going to reorganize the Tupperware, you know, because, like, it's kind of out of out of sorts and whatever. But then, in that amount of time, like my desk, which was like neat, ordered, you know, whatever, is just completely obliterated. Right. So, well, you—I will say—you're a—you're a man who invests well in Tupperware and um, keeps it well organized. We had a house meeting the other day. This is Father Chris Considine, Father Father Chris Hellstrom, and uh, just kind of you know bringing up certain things that you know for the sake of the brethren. And uh, just reminding guys that we have a system that um, the guy who has uh, mass, morning mass, um, goes to hear confessions and morning mass, and the other guy takes five to ten minutes after um, the, uh, the after holy hour to uh, unload the dishwasher. Ah, yes. So it's just a simple thing that it's like, you know, instead of hearing confessions, you're, you're, gonna, you're the guy that's going to unload the dishwasher. But the question becomes, is the guy that is unloading the dishwasher also the guy that has to unload the drying rack? Ah, uh, yes. So drying rack is more for like the large pots and pans, um, blenders, food processors, uh, you know, et cetera. Hand washable things. Um, and uh, the comment was made, I don't know where some of those things go. Uh. By one of the brothers, right? Who will remain nameless, and uh, and oh. I just said, well, you know, this is how we learn, and if you want, uh, you just leave that out, and then I will make sure that you know, you know where it goes for next time. And then uh, at the end, I just said, um, is there anything else that guys want to bring up? You know, and uh, one of the brothers who will remain nameless, of course, nameless, nameless, faceless. Um, he said, um, there are times where there seems to be a lot of clutter around and it would be nice for the sake of presentability if, uh, if we, we picked up, you know, certain cluttery items. Um, and, uh, he said, you know, sometimes I feel like it just, um, how did he put it? Like it expands and I just have to push it back into the center of the island. Right. And I was reminded of a certain conversation that we had had. Right. Who, another person who'd remain another nameless. Another person who would nameless. remain nameless, who uh, would always comment about, 
you know, certain uh, things on the island just, you know, encroaching out. So um, perennial problems, perennial problems. And uh, penance is a great way not just to say, I'm going to give up bad things and, and then at the end of Lent take back up my bad things, right. but let's try to, you know, keep these bad things in order, you know, even during the Easter season. So, Man after my own heart, whoever that uh, anonymous man was who... Uh you know, I think the, it, I, I think it was actually both of them. Is that my water? Thank yeah, you. I think it is. The, uh, his water, not his bird. Water. Um, yeah, that that uh, island at your house. It's like a hydra. You know, you chop off, you chop off an arm on it, and uh, it just keeps growing back faster and faster. Well, we just we inherit all these things. Yesterday, uh, a bag was outside of the uh, a bag was outside of the uh, garage door. And somebody was kind enough to purchase um, uh, bar soap and biotin hmm. for another person in the house who will remain nameless. Nameless. Um, Faceless. And it was commented to them on the note that um, I see that you're gro- <laughs> I see that you're growing bald, and I am just recommending this supplement. Uh, to uh, help you, you know, thicken your existing hair. This is in a note. Yeah. Oh wow. So um, that was on the counter. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like, what do you do with that? You know, it just ends up on the island and it stays there for a little while. Yeah, it sounds like it stayed there for a long while. Now you guys are constantly inheriting checks. You know, puppy chow and right. cookie assortments and oh, yeah. Vietnamese bologna and whatnot. Um, yes. Yeah. And um, again, these are lessons that you learned later in life. Um, I, I used to have a sentimental kind of feel towards things of that nature that it's like they gave it to me. They want me to enjoy it. You right. know, like I just. I have to eat it. I have to eat it, right? You you grow up and you're told like you know eat everything on your plate, you know, and uh, and now I'm realizing if I just have a little bit of it, I can give the rest away, and actually feel much better about it. Yeah, because you acknowledge the gift that is given, um, but then you find someone else who would enjoy the gift all the more. Case in point, uh, one of my parishioners gave me. For Vietnamese New Year, Vietnamese bologna, and uh, which was interesting, as we say in Minnesota, it, it was interesting. Yep it was it was a it was a kind of bologna I'd I'd never had before. It was a flavor I couldn't exactly identify, <laughs> um, and uh, I made sure that I had some of it. Yes, you did. Um, and then I gave it to um, Father John to give to one of his guys, Joe Bowie. I thought I I didn't even I totally forgot that Joe Bowie was here. I thought that Precious Stone would enjoy it. No, no, it's but not, it's not Burmese food. It's not Burmese food. It's Vietnamese. We, yeah, which is funny because uh, when um, uh, I had a guy come to the parish from uh, Tanzania, he came from Tanzania. And um, he he needed to be taken out for a meal. And I said, what would you like to eat? And he's like, I don't care. And I said, what are you hungry for? And he's like, I don't care. And he was being very deferential. And then I thought I would give him, you know, like a gift by saying, well, I know that there's good Ethiopian food, like down on Colfax. So let's just go eat Ethiopian food. And uh, we got it. And he absolutely hated it. 
<laughs> and he couldn't communicate to me that he did, that he hated it, but it was evident that he wasn't necessarily enjoying it. And then on the ride home, he was like, um, you do realize that Ethiopia is like four countries away or three countries away. And I was like, that would be the equivalent of um, a guy from like Panama uh-huh. or Costa Rica. And I was like, why don't we go get Canadian food? You know, I'm going to get you fries with, with uh, gravy on Poutine. top. Poutine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, and it, wasn't, it wasn't his favorite. So um, anyways. I think that's a rather risky move, though, for somebody who don't know. Ethiopian food? I mean, you know. Yeah, it a was of, a lot of safer options out there in the neighborhood. It was culturally insensitive, and I lamented it. Whatever. Ultimately, afterwards, uh, when we were in the car, I was like, "What? What did you actually want?" He goes, "Burger and fries." Yeah, I'm like, oh, "I'm so dumb." So, anyways, I gave away the Vietnamese bologna, and uh, Deacon Joe Bowie apparently crushed in, it. Crushed it. Two days gone. So grateful. Smiling today. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. It was well done. So. Anyways, what's your policy? Uh, returning back to the Tupperware uh, conversation from earlier, what is your policy on the returning of the Tupperware? How much is that a requirement? Because um, I know you have, you've got your like Fort Knox uh, mm-hmm. Tupperware, which that never leaves. Yeah, and you have the other stuff. You're kind of like whatever. So, yep. just curious, kind of what's, what's the policy on that for people who actually keep homes and kitchens and these kind of things? Well, that's a good point. I mean, back in the day, back in the day, Tupperware, the actual name Tupperware used to be, um, you know, uh, like labeled. They would write their name uh, in permanent marker, usually put a sticker over it or whatever, so it would preserve even even in the wash. Um, so you would get your Tupperware back. Right. With the advent of the uh, uh, Hefty and the whatever, what are those other ones called? You have like Hefty, and then you have like um, Ziploc, and then you have Rubbermaid, and then you have Pyrex. Um, so, like, there's different gradations. You're a Pyrex guy. I am a Snapware guy. Snapware guy. I'm a okay. Snapware guy. Right. Andrea is a Snapware Pyrex person oh. where it's the square glass dishes that, you know, snap right. and whatever. I, I, I think when it comes to rectories, it needs to be idiot-proof. And glassware is... Not idiot proof. No. How many how many how many glass French presses have you broken in your life? Yeah. I mean, I'm up to I think two or three. Right. And then a few years ago, I found a metal French press, and it's fine. That's right. Totally fine. So uh, when you look at the thing, it's kind of like, how durable is this? Um, does it look like it would last? You know, like on the bottom, you know, bottom rack of the dishwasher for a while, or you know, can I just you know get rid of it? If they say to you, I want this back, obviously, um, I would say for the most part, when I, when I run into people, they don't want it back. It, it's become very, very prevalent. Keep it. Yeah, you can just keep it. Okay. So then what you do is uh, you put it in a separate box, no intermingling, no uh, desegregation of the, of the, uh, of the uh, Tupperware drawer and you keep that separate and then you keep the other one in a box so that you you have it ready for whenever you want somebody wants you know say like you know some leftovers or whatever you just give it to them and say it's your problem now or or you can keep it on the countertop on the island not that there's anything wrong with that hypothetically you know we don't do that uh, just we, we keep we keep partially eaten foods in there all right all right 
Touche. Anywho, these are the penances that we're going through. Bourbon and decluttering. Decluttering. That's the end of our um, that's the end of our banter, folks. If you've been fast forwarding, now is the time to start listening for a topic that will actually contain within it banter. But since we've transferred to the topic, you can pretend like you no longer have to listen to our lives. On to the topic. So um, I told Father John that in the last episode I went a little quiet at the end because I was a little afraid that Father John was getting into some uh, portions of my topic that I wanted to get into. Um, that kind of that kind of overlap, uh, but it was in, in regards to relationship, and uh, ultimately, like uh, our diocese has has moved into a reflection, a really intense reflection on the nature of the mission of the church um, in the last whatever eight to ten months, and a lot of people speculate that it's because um, Archbishop Aquila was was fairly secluded during the first months of COVID. Um, Very nervous. Uh, He was at the age that they were saying, like, you could get sick, you know, like, it it would be a death sentence for you. You might have pre-existing conditions, etc. And uh, he was like, he would go for walks around the seminary property, like praying his rosary, but he would not meet with anybody else. Like, he was in, he was in total Zoom mode, you know, having his meetings with very limited numbers of persons, people had to be vetted, you know, his secretary couldn't, you know, travel, etc. Um, but I think that actually was beneficial because at some point it caused him to do some uh, reflection on, uh, frankly, death. Like, I could die. And uh, anytime you reflect on death... Um, I don't think that uh, as Catholics we're necessarily as worried about death as we are worried about judgment. Hmm. And when when judgment plays into it, it's, uh, am I ready to meet the Lord? Death is the avenue through which we meet the Lord, but judgment is, am I prepared to meet the Lord with um, everything? Every, I mean, with everything. Like, uh, have I done? Have I done enough? Um, one of the most beautiful conversations I ever had with Father Cunio, uh, who died from my parish, the retired priest, uh, who was just assisting me, uh, uh, when he was in the hospital, he asked me, uh, Nathan, have I done enough? Have I done enough, uh, to, to, um, to be able to receive, you know, heaven? And I thought he was kind of saying like, you know, is God merciful enough you know, to let me in. And I just kind of affirmed to him, you know, you're in a state of grace, et cetera. He's like, no, like, uh, what, what could I, what could I have possibly have done to know that I'm going to receive so much? It was a beautiful admission. Um, so, uh, the archbishop, I feel like was, uh, kind of reflective and, and that's produced like, uh, what am I about? What do I want to be about? And the, the, I don't know, like one of the offshoots of that has been a deeper diocesan reflection on the nature of mission. Are we more interested in maintaining what we have, or are we interested in, in mission? Any comments on what you see as, as far as like how we've made this turn? Because I would say it's, 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 a, it's a relatively new advent. Like we, haven't, we hadn't been talking about this previous. Yeah, I, I think so. And I had a friend who's uh, who works closely with the bishop who said to me, 
that this was the fruit of COVID for him, for the Archbishop. Really? Yeah, this was the fruit of his prayer during that time, and I think that it was the question of like, have I done enough? Instead of just kind of like, how many days till I turn 75 and retire, which would be the temptation, you know, at that point, especially when things are locked down, to mm-hmm. say, where are we going? And there was a there's a constant reaffirming the message that this is not a front for a plan that's already been cooked right. up. Mm-hmm. There isn't a plan. We're, yep. we're really trying to venture into this. I think we need to keep going deeper. That's the, that's the, the thing, I would say, is that mission is... Mission is a theological mystery. It's not a pastoral plan. Um, and it kind of gets reduced to that sometimes um, as just mission is kind of the apostle. And it's like mission is part of the being of the church. The, the, the church's essence is that she is in mission because Christ, when we talk about mission, and this is where I, I, I don't want to go on to a long topic here because I don't exactly know where you want to go with this, but very briefly... The Trinity is these processions from the Father. So the Son eternally proceeds from the Father. There's movement in the life of God, though there's perfect unity, of course, and simplicity. Um, But when that procession enters into creation, uh, we call that mission. The Son and the Spirit, these two missions from the Father, the two processions, this is St. Thomas Aquinas, entering into creation, those are missions. And the Church, as as the world reconciled to God, as the body and bride of Christ, shares in the mission of the Son. So it's not, mission is not just like, we need to have more Bible studies and do more discipleship and uh, have more efficient parishes. That Those are all really good things. But mission is something that's so much, it's part of the being of the church. It's not primarily, and firstly, um, part of the activity of the church. So when, when we were listening to uh, Father Angel our new vicar for clergy today, he was talking about uh, community as being co-munus. Is that, is that the proper um, or the Thomistic understanding of communion that you share in the mission? Yeah. Yeah. Comunio, I mean, I think literally is with union, but when he's saying that communion needs to precede mission, I, I think he was pointing us in a really, that was a really fine talk he gave, saying that... Um, Mission is something, if mission is, this, is the Son's life and his procession flowing out of the imminent trinity, the inner life of God, which is communion, then communion is the source of mission, the movement of the Son into creation for our redemption and salvation is something that begins and is completely centered in communion. And so that's part of it is, I think that there's been a lot of missionary activity in our local church. I don't see a lot of communion. Yes, Yes. And that's the problem. And even today, we're talking about mission a lot, but we're not talking about communion. And Mm -hmm. we have to ground this whole conversation back in, well, what does communion actually look like? What does the church as communion look like? That's the the fundamental definition from the Second Vatican Council. That's how Ratzinger and John Paul interpreted the, the, the last century of theological reflection on what is the church. And that's what the council was. Um, was to say, what is the church and what does it have to say in the modern world? It is communion. It is the it is the Trinitarian communion in this missionary tension. But it begins in communion, like it's, you're saying. It's founded, it, it, it's, its foundation, though, is not necessarily in mission, but in union. Right. Which is the point that Archbishop, thankfully, keeps drawing us back into, 
and has been really the the fruit of his reflection, even like, you know, from his first days in, in Denver. Um, this is what he was talking about. This is what he was preaching about. And for him, it's uh, John chapter 15, the vine and the branches. So if you, if you recall, there is um, a sort of chiastic structure to um, uh, John 15, where uh, a chiasm is where you have sort of um, uh, two sides of um, an, um, a passage or kind of an argument almost, like a, a story, are, are, are building up to a point and leading down from that point. So um, the first line would be like green eggs and ham, and the last line of the story would be um, green eggs and ham, ham and green eggs, or whatever. Like, um, like it would be the same, but in reverse. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of saying like here's here's the here's the 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 negative, and here's the positive, or here's the positive, and here's the negative. Um, uh, you'll see it as we kind of look at John chapter fifteen, but. Um, uh, one of the one of the ways in which this was pointed out as well is: Do you remember when Digert found the chiasm, like latent in um, the prodigal son story? I remember in seminary, like oftentimes, like guys would talk about what they talked about in class, and you know, little you know, whispers or conversations or whatever. And I remember being in the copy room of the seminary when uh, a guy came in and was like. Father Joe Digert, who was just a seminarian at the time, Father Joe Digert just blew uh, Andreas Hoke's mind because he found a chiasm outside of John in um, in Luke's gospel and the prodigal son story. So uh, I, I don't exactly remember it, but I think it was, I, I will get up and go to my father. Mm. I think that everything kind of builds from there and uh, everything builds up to that moment and everything returns from that moment. So um, if you look at the first, uh, the first line of um, you know, John chapter 15, I am the true vine, my father is the, is the vine dresser. Second line, every branch in me that bears, beareth, bears not fruit, he will take away, and every one that bears fruit, he will prune, uh, that it may uh, bring forth more fruit. If you look at the end of John chapter 15, uh, he says, um, excuse me, at the end of that uh, pericope, um, he says, uh, in this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the father has loved me, remember at the beginning it says, I am the vine, the father is the branches. As the father has loved me, I also have loved you, abide in my love. So it's, it's teaching this lesson. At the center of that, um, at the center of that pericope is, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that remains in me and I in him, the same will bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Um, and to me, it's like the Archbishop keeps returning back to this point. And the emphasis is always on uh, we have to be attached to the vine. We have to be attached to the vine. If we're not attached to the vine, uh, none of these other things are going are gonna to matter. And uh, we are kind of incessantly or repeatedly, incessant has sort of like a negative connotation, we are repeatedly returning back to where are we at in terms of, of mission and how are we going to bear fruit? How is this going to bear fruit in, in our life and how are we going to apply this to the people? But my, the point that I came to the other day, and we had had a brief conversation about it on the phone, was 
I came to this realization that everybody wants the fruits. Remember? Yep. Everybody wants the fruits. Nobody wants to talk about the tree. The tree, the vine, the roots, the, the, the trunk. And everybody wants to say, we want this tree to bear the fruits of uh, whatever, uh, apostolic fruitfulness, um, vocations. vocations, Catholic schools, um, you know, impassioned preaching, excellent uh, administrative kind of uh, acumen, etc. But nobody wants to talk about how do we actually draw back into deeper communion together. Um, and within that tree, a whole lot of things are happening that we don't see except through the fruits. When Jesus goes and sees the fig tree and sees that it's in full, you know, kind of foliage, but there are no, uh, there are no figs on it, he's like, screw you. He curses the, curses the fig tree and it withers and dies. It looks like it should bear fruit, but it's not. Is that the problem of the, the fruitless um, uh, tree, whatever, like uh, branches? Or is that the problem with the trunk? Or is that the problem with the, the roots? roots? Yeah. So a lot of things are happening in the midst of that tree that should actually give witness in the, you know, these, the, this fruitfulness. Everybody wants the fruit, but nobody wants to talk about how do we, um, how do we attend to the tree. And I am not, I do not have a green thumb. Like I have, I think I've owned two plants in my life and one of them died. And the other one I gave to the guy at my parish, Larry, who has a green thumb and now it's doing awesome. But the goal isn't, um, make sure that that tree, that, that plant or whatever bears fruit. The goal ultimately is, is it getting what it needs in order that it might have life. And uh, I would just ask, like, we as, as companions and we as priests most certainly want to bear fruit. I don't think, no, I don't think anybody wants to enter into a vocation and be like, yeah, I'll just kind of, I'll kind of give it my, my half, you know, instead of giving it my all, I'll kind of give it the half and just get by. Everybody on the day of their marriage, everybody on the day of their ordination, um, even like, you know, I don't want to limit it just to vocations, but even like, you know, becoming a fireman or a teacher or a, um, a doctor or something like that, like you want to give good work. But then at some point, you need certain things in your life in order to maintain um, equilibrium so that you can actually bear that kind of fruit. And if you're not bearing fruit, the question isn't, well, we got to make all of these, you know, major changes and you just need to try harder. It could just be as simple as, are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating? Like, do you have friends in your life? Um, what is it, what is it that you're kind of drawing in? Um, because ultimately, I, I, the other thing I return to is in seminary, uh, our, our formation experience at times was you need to, you need to give, um, you need to show improvement in these areas. We want to see these fruits. 
But the question didn't actually return back to what is going on in your life that it, it's evident that you're not bearing fruit. What is going on in your life that's inhibiting you from bearing, from bearing fruit? Mm. And what is going on in the life of priests that is inhibiting them from bearing fruit? And the, the, the word that I came up with in seminary is hot breath does not make flowers grow. Now, some people would argue with that because people talk to their flowers or their plants and carbon dioxide and whatever. But the point is, you can't just yell at somebody and say, you better, you better shape up or you're out. You actually need to invite them and you actually need to tend to them. The first line is, uh, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser is not just the one that goes around pruning. The vine dresser is also the one that, that, that uh, attends to the vine. He waters it. He gives it nutrients. Uh, I've seen people like put blankets over their over their plants in the midst of like harsh climates so that they don't die. And we just want these um, we want these uber priests or these uber missionaries that are just going to be able to do all of these amazing things. But we're not actually asking the question of what is inhibiting you from growing and are you actually divorced from the source of fruitfulness which is God and man. It's not just, are you praying your holy hour? It's also, who are you sharing your life with? And I think that's true even for people in the parishes, because they're like, Father, I just, I don't, I don't feel like I'm, I'm bearing fruit. And one of the easiest things to begin talking to them about is, um, who are you in communion with? Right. Who are you in friendship with? Other people would put it as simply as, who are you in discipleship with, whether in a role of mentor or being mentored? And in priesthood, I would say, like, a lot of that hasn't happened. We don't have a lot of experience where we're being formed uh, or, or um, drawn, into, drawn into union. It's a lot of expropriation, a lot of giving. Um, and for me, like, as we have these conversations, you know, as we draw it further back, I'm like, yes, we want to do mission, but isn't the first thing uh, being attached to the vine together? And how do we attend to that? So that's kind of the question that I have is, where would you say we would need to focus, whether as priests or as a diocese, to attend to communion and not just to fast forward and be like, how do we become, how do we go deeper into mission. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Great, uh, great topic and, and great thoughts there. I'll, I'll share, a, um, an antidote from class last week that I think you'll find amusing and then, um, try and tie it into specifically what you're talking about. I was talking to the guys about priestly life and about seminary. Um, and this got a good laugh out of him. I said, gentlemen, um, don't tell the rector I'm saying this, but you're in the zoo right now. You live in the zoo um, and in the zoo, you have communion, and you're with other zoo animals, and you get kind of fed, and you do your things in the zoo, and we kind of watch you and make sure you're, you're healthy and kind of things are good. And then you get ordained. And you know what happens you get ordained? We throw you into the wild. That's what happens. And I said, you are going, you're literally in the zoo for all these years, and then we throw you into the wild. Domesticated. And uh, it's not going well. It, guys are getting destroyed and ripped apart. 
and um, it's not pretty. And the whole the whole point of this was talking about community as a human reality. I'm, I'm teaching anthropology and talking about how animals don't have community. They don't build community. They can signal, and they can work together, but they don't they don't have what we would call shared intentionality, which is the heart of communion. Right? Community. They're not capable of communion. Only only rationally and sold human beings are. Mm-hmm. So I said. You are, uh, you're going to be tossed out there. And um, I know a guy up in Montana uh, who his first assignment was five parishes on an Indian reservation by himself. Hmm. And uh, he didn't do well. It didn't go well. Yeah. And I walk the halls of our seminary, and I see faces, and I see guys who have gone down in the last decade. And at, when I was in seminary with you, it was like, we're the seminary where nobody leaves. Like, everything's great. All our guys yes. are, are super successful. We got all the uber priests out of this place. Um, no, we don't. We don't. We're, uh, we're really, guys are really broken down and they're hurting and they're isolated. And I, I, I'm getting tired of conversations that over-spiritualize the problem. It's a human problem right now in the priesthood. Community is not a spiritual problem. It's a human problem. And we're incapable of building community. Priests do not live in community. Parishes are not communities. People are not experiencing community, and the world, the secular culture, is saying you actually don't need community because you have Netflix, and you're fine. Mm-hmm. You need a story. You need some friends. You have Instagram. Like you don't need this, and so the self-reliance in our culture is just so dominant. And I'm sick and tired of sitting around talking about how you guys need to have spiritual communion with Jesus. And I'm like, yes, but I feel like I'm looking at this room of guys, and I'm like, these guys are praying. Like not maybe not all of them, but these guys are praying and they're praying hard and they're praying for their people and they're getting ripped apart because they're out in the wild. And I see my guys in the zoo who are freaked out. They're like, you know, and I'm like, we're going to throw you into the wild here pretty soon um, without any community. And, and there are, there are comments being made by priests and bishops across the country that the efforts at building community are divisive. And that they're problematic, and that we need this kind of meta, top-down kind of structural change. That's going to f- we hire Acts twenty-nine to come in, and then we'll 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 pay three hundred thousand dollars or whatever, and we'll get the the perfect strategic plan for how we're going to fix the human problem of the priesthood. And I'm like, what is wrong with us? Or exhortations that say you just have to pray more. And it's like, no, that's not the problem. The problem is priests don't live. Priests don't have anybody saying. Put the Tupperware in the Tupperware drawer, right? They don't live human <laughs> lives, and they don't they, they don't have the virtue base of what we call communality, right? There's a, there's a certain virtue set that makes a community. Families have this. I see this with my, I love going over to my sister and brother in law's house because I see this little community operating, and they and they work very well together. And it's not easy. It takes a lot of work and a lot of communication yes. and a lot of forgiveness. But I'm like, damn, they do it really well. And there's a set of virtues that are just operative. There are good habits at play that's not existing in the priesthood and it's not existing in parish life. And I keep meeting these amazing people. And most of them are guys in marriage prep like uh, who are not Catholic, who are, but they're so open. And I'm like, let's say they become Catholic. What am I bringing them into? Nothing. What, this, what if they have an amazing marriage prep? It's the best thing we can give them. They have a huge conversion or RCA. What are we bringing them into? Nothing. Knights of Columbus, love those guys. Not the answer right now 
for a 27-year-old guy who just converted. Mm. What We have nothing to bring them into because we do not have concrete, lived expressions of community. And it's not just priest's fault. And the temptation is to think we have to do all this. And I think in the Companions we wrestle with this a lot because we talk about this all the time. And we've been given a lot. But we have to have certain people who say, yeah, I have have three kids, I have four kids, but it's time for me to turn and to say, I'm going to work with Father Nathan to actually build community, but I'm actually going to lead. I'm going to step in. I'm going to actually exercise my, my baptismal priesthood and govern and lead and educate and be formed. And, and, and this is just like, we got to get back to basics here. Mm-hmm. But it's a human, I'll shut up now, but it's a human problem. Building community is a human problem. And, and a human over, And over-spiritualizing it just... It's not going to solve the problem. It, we have to have spiritual community, but it has to be human first. Yeah. Yes, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, Aristotle begins, you know, his uh, discussion on man, that man is a social animal. Like, we are made for a society. We're made for relationality. Uh, we build cities, uh, not just colonies of bees, um, but uh, we actually, you know, form these uh, webs of relationship. There's this, a social ecology that is going on. Um, and um, what I like about what you're pointing out to your seminarians is that, brothers, we need to be aware of the problem. And that was the thing that I actually really appreciated from Acts 29, is they weren't just saying, like, we have a solution, you know, we're going to give it to you. It's that I mean, they kind of did that at the end. But the first part is like, can we actually be aware that there's a problem going on and it's like real? And I don't mean to dog them. I love, I love what they're doing. And I'm grateful they have, they have the, they got the balls to actually say like where things are at. Right. So and say, not to, not to, and not say to, to bishops, do right. you realize that we're, we're, we're heading towards a cliff? Right. Okay. So um, I read this book. Uh, it was one of those, uh, you know, uh, Amazon like recommendations. Um, it's like, hey, you read this book. Why don't you consider reading a different one? Um, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm. Um, and um, he says this, Our civilization offers many palliatives which help people to be consciously unaware of this aloneness, this uh, separation. First of all, the strict routine of bureaucratized, bureaucratized, a mechanical work which helps people to remain unaware of their most fundamental human desires, of the longing for transcendence and unity. Inasmuch as this routine alone does not succeed in this, man overcomes his unconscious despair by the routine of amusement, the passive consumption of sounds and sights offered by the amusement industry, furthermore by the satisfaction of buying ever new things and soon exchanging them for others. Modern man is actually close to the picture Huxley describes in his Brave New World, well-fed, well-clad, satisfied sexually, yet without self, without any except the most superficial contact with his fellow man, guided by the slogans which Huxley formulated so succinctly, such as, when the individual feels, the community reels, never put off till tomorrow the fun you can have today, whereas the crowning statement, everybody is happy nowadays. Man's happiness today consists in having fun. And uh, 
I would say that uh, there are ways in which uh, we, I think, falsely believed that we were on such a hot streak that it just wouldn't end, that we were just going to, to conquer. And uh, it's this, you know, manifest destiny uh, that at some point we will, like, we will take over, you know, uh, all these things. Instead of realizing, like, just as much as we are equipping and preparing for, you know, the next thing, so also is the evil one. So also is, um, yeah, other forces in society that are pre presenting alternate gospels, which present good news to people who are looking for it. And part of what we have to do is actually identify the fundamental problems of man, uh, because otherwise the gospel just seems an answer to a question that is not even in men's hearts. Beforehand, it was, you know, like we had mentioned before, guilt, longing, and death. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, I, I have everything at my disposal, but I'm still, I'm still sad. You know, people can, people can have uh, a quarantine that has, you know, like, whatever, Grubhub, Amazon, uh, Netflix, all of these things, and yet all of their material needs are met, and yet they're, they're still longing. They're still desirous. And so the good thing about what uh, you're presenting to your seminarians is, I don't have the answer for you, but I do want to point out to you the problem. Uh, there was a priest uh, who um, was in the IPF program that I was in uh, over the summers, or over the uh, the school year, past three years, um, and uh, he was from Pittsburgh. Uh, don't remember his name. Uh, he was only there for the first semester, and we asked him like, uh, "What um, what recommendations would you have?" He'd been ordained forty years. He's one of the oldest priests there, and he said, um, "It took me forty years to realize that you actually needed to have a prayer life, but at some point I hit rock bottom, and uh, I I started to reach out." to God and to other persons. Um, that's, that's an incarnate, um, that's an incarnate like longing. You want God and man. You don't just want God and you don't just want man. You actually want both. Um, and Jesus is gracing us with the opportunity to offer to others, not just the spiritual satisfaction of I can describe for you all of the discernment of spirits, but I can share with you even my loneliness as a priest, and that's okay. And sometimes even on the podcast, like uh, we talk about things that uh, other people I don't think ever dreamed that priest would say um, that like there is loneliness, and uh, I think for, I don't know, 50 years, people just thought priests aren't lonely. And then the culture woke up and realized, what are priests doing when they get lonely? And it's not just like, you know, sexual impropriety with minors, although that was present. Um, it was financial malfeasance, um, alcoholism, um, but even more so like uh, laziness, sloth, um, a lack of uh, spiritual, a lack of uh, ambition for the right things, zeal. Um, 
And so now the answer isn't just, we need to pray more holy hours. I think that is part of what we have to do. We have to reconnect into the heart of the church, which is ultimately mystical. And the mission is a mystical mission, not just like, you know, colonial, spiritual colonialism, uh, that we're going to make all these outposts all over the world and eventually, like, have franchises on every, you know, continent. Um, But rather, like, we want to be part of the mystical body of Jesus where we can offer whatever, our poverty, our joy, our confusion, our uh, simple um, rejoicing in, you know, the the presence of children or uh, of uh, yeah of, of of God's love like without it being you know hyper hyper spiritual or like un unaffective um yeah I like the general question of this which is just kind of beginning it's so simple but it's just kind of where where are you like that's the first that's question God it. asks after the fall. Where are you? Where are you? And in terms of communion, who are you with? And uh, and start there. Where have you started to? Com- what have you? What have you started to commune with? Right. Yeah. What are you communing with? But concretely, right. This is what everybody loves Lent at, the, at least at the beginning, because yeah. it's it 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 demands the concrete. It's like, all right, what are you doing? Prayer, like concretely, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Do you pray daytime prayer? That was like my thing. It was like you got to pray mid morning prayer because you never pray mid morning prayer. Ooh, that's a tough one. That's what I'm doing every day, or trying to. What time? 10 a.m. Do you have a break then? Uh, I have class ends at 10, but okay, it's concrete. And the questions of community has been abstracted and sentimentalized. Yes, we talk all the time about how fraternity and yes. community and these right. words are so abstract and empty. And it's like, oh my gosh, we have to, we have to reinvent the old, simple, concrete ways. It has to look different, and uh, mission will flow so naturally from that. But unless we get concrete, and as a final word here, and then I'll, I'll, I'll call it here because we're running out of time. But like, I see people huddling together to get out of the storms of secularism, um, and they're pulling into small communities. But unless they're still tethered back into mission, they get weird fast. Right, and these are the communities that sit around all day and talk about. I can't believe the bishops didn't give us communion on the tongue last in 2020. Like, what are we going to do? How? And it's just like these are the questions that make us weird. Um, not that that's not important; it has a place. But I see a lot of insular turning now, um, and we're going into the ghettos. We're building up the bastions, um, and that that's not the kind of missionary community that we're talking about here. Um, so. We got a lot of work to do, but at least we're presenting and we're and the, the problems and the questions are back on the table. In the seminary, in this podcast, in your heart, in your preaching, that's the that's where we start. We don't have the answers, but but the questions are there and God wants us to actually ponder the questions with, with a bit of humility and honesty, I think. And I think we're seeing part of the fruits of of the the community come from People are rejoicing that in their homes they're having meals together. People are rejoicing that they're actually experiencing leisure together. 
people are finding fruit in the fact that they're planning their own liturgies at home because they're not able to, you know, have, you know, liturgies provided for them by the church. So why is it so strange that when families do community well with the persons in their life, that we as priests or as, like, say, parish communities, if we found opportunities to do precisely that, that we would see the kind of fruits that we want. But that is the hiddenness of, like, what happens in the midst of the trunk. And, you know, there's a, whatever, tree doctor, whatever those people are called, ologist, treeologist, um, arborist, if you will, pulled that one out of there, <laughs> um, who could actually say, like, here are the basic things that the tree needs in order to bear fruit. And to me, it's like, great, then identify those things for the human person and human communities. Let's start there with actual persons. Sometimes people get mad because we as uh, companions talk about community a lot, and they say, well, I don't have community. So you're talking about a good that I don't even have. So it's great that you guys have all these, this stuff to drink. I have nothing to drink. And I'm like, then you've identified the need now find where to satisfy that need, where to, where to share that need. We don't live in Shangri-La. We don't live in a, a, a perfect community. We don't have brothers that are just you know, completely outpouring for one another. There are brief moments where it's just like, what I received was such a gift, but it's not a waterfall. Like, it's, you know, you get a little morsel, you, you, you take it in, and then you keep going. And my, my point is, we can't live off scraps. We've got to actually find, um, uh, we've got to find the things that are going to lead to life, because that life fuels the mission, instead of do more things with less. I mean, oftentimes what I say about you know, some of these conversations is, more bricks, less straw. We know we don't have as many resources, but we still need more bricks. Like, the time has never been more ripe for a new evangelization, etc. It's like, we actually need to find simple ways of relating to concrete persons. And those persons are already in your life or available to you. It's just a matter of seeking them. If you don't know that you have a hunger, then you'll never go out in search of how to satisfy that hunger. All we do at times on the podcast is point to, this is a problem, we need to address it. And we're trying to address it in our own way. Um, we're, we're trying to point back even now like to the bishop of, you're talking a lot about community. We're trying to live community. Give us the opportunity to live that and give other people the opportunity to live that. Um, so... Uh, everybody wants the fruits. Nobody wants to take care of the tree. And so to me, it's like, if the bishop is listening, and sometimes he does, because he makes comments to me about how I have multiple shampoos and conditioners, right. which some have been given to me. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, hear us when we say we're all about mission. Mission that finds its source in communion. Communion with God, communion with men.
and the men that the Lord has graced us with together, not just in the companion's life, but uh, our parishes, our seminary communities, our, um, our brother priests. Amen. Amen. Well said. That was a very flat, well said. Well, we'll talk about that afterwards. Well <laughs> said. Well said. That was no, so well said. No, oh it, was, my, it, was, it was just... No, the part about the tree, it was so no, well said. it was just said. like this. Well said. Well, I was thinking about Gronsky's line, but we're running out of time. I, Gronsky, God told him on his, on his ordination day. Mm. What did he say? I will always give you bread. I will not give you cake. I may not always give you cake. cake but I will always give you bread. I will always give you bread. And that's, that's community right there. Right. We want the cake of the ideal, perfect parish. Give me the perfect priest, the perfect community, the perfect family. You're going to get the bread. Companions yep. is bread, and sometimes it feels stale. But it's the bread, and it's, it's from that bread. It's manna. It's from that bread that God transforms We're everything. tired of this wretched food. Okay. That was so great. Such a great topic. It's 10 o'clock at night. We got to go to bed. I think somebody should write Shout in and actually out. say what they thought John was meaning by his well said. Shout out to Kim and Cindy Mast. Oh, thank God. Not Tim. Kim. Dad is Kim. Mom is Cindy. Confirmed. Okay. By Father CJ. That's very helpful. Yes. That's very helpful. Yep. So there you go. Shout out. Sorry for the botched shout out in the last one, which we often do. I said Tim. I was off by one letter. I thought you were talking about Ted, his brother. So anyways, Mast family, we love you guys. Thanks for listening, and thanks for keeping Father CJ in line up in the Northern Lands. That's it for me. Yeah. To um, to all the people uh, we met... Uh, from our chancery who listen, uh, some of our uh, 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 chancery staff we've given shout-outs to before, but apparently the new guy, who I think his name is Kevin. Kevin Greeny. It's, yeah, it's he listens. T- 10, o- 10 o'clock at night. Kevin, uh, Kevin. Is, is a new, uh, well, he's not necessarily a new hire, but he just got elevated in his position at the Archdiocese. But uh, he came up to me today and he was like, um, I started listening four years ago whenever I was still in, I think, Michigan or something. Um, and, uh, yeah, grateful for your guys' work. So that's now two hires for the Archdiocese that are podcast, podcast listeners. listeners. Thanks. And he's a great cyclist. He did the 100-miler for my dad, Pedal for Possible, yeah, last September. Oh, Kevin. Cool. Yeah, I thought about giving a Mike Rapp shout-out just to continue. Just like, I just want to shout-out, like, everyone in the Archdiocese of Denver and all the moms out there and all animals. Um <laughs> And yeah, just like and all the trees and just yeah, all the trees. Like every, I saw these trees last week, and I just want to shout out all of them and all of creation. Can I tell? And you, all the angels. It's a quick story. So, uh, um, when we were on the fishing trip, uh, my my cousin Tony, uh, party time, party time. is the uh, is a, a tree doctor. He does you know tree trimming throughout the uh, Denver area, and uh, he looks at this tree while we're fishing, and then he just goes, "Whoa, look at that tree! It's still rocking." Still partying. And I'm like, you know what? That tree's still partying. It's still true. That tree's so, still partying. Anyways, keep this, partying. This tree is still partying at 10 o'clock at night. It's 947, folks. He needs to go to bed. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone. Shout out. Bye.